Hello, I'm Aidan Gallagher. I'm Peter Reeves. Welcome to API, our integration podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to set the world to rights on various topics in the world of enterprise integration, and it scratches our collective itches as engineers who just want to uh, rant about enterprise IT over a cup of coffee. Or tea. Hello, Peter. Hello, Aidan. How are you? I'm okay. It's quite hot here. Very hot. Yeah. It's the middle of summer now, isn't it? Do you know why we're really hot and stuffy in our houses? Is it because our houses are designed for a different climate? Yes. Oh, was that was that actually the answer? That was the answer. It, our houses are, uh, are designed to retain heat. And obviously, during the summer, it retains the heat that we don't want. So here we are, hot, stuffy, and about to record a podcast on design. Heat. Oh, oh design. Design documentation. Yeah. Mm. So we're talking today, Peter, about design mm-hmm. documentation. Yes. Why do we care? Why are we bothering? Why do we care? Because very often on this podcast and outside of work, we will get very preachy and we'll talk about utopian ideals about agile and project management, working in a team where everything just works and everything's lovely, everyone trusts everyone, everyone knows everything. But in real life, in the real world, I think that a lot of our effort and a lot of our work involves writing and reviewing and maintaining design documents on large systems. We're going to talk about why why we have design documents, why we write designs, why do people try and avoid writing designs. We're going to talk about the, the what, the why and the how. So what makes good design, why do we do it and uh, and have a little bit of a, a play around the topic. So if I start off with the what, we had a chat about this earlier and we said design documentation is a is the written detail of software and hardware implementations. That might look at physical infrastructure, software infrastructure, so products, or software applications, e.g. Java app or an API or a, or a whatever. Mm-hmm. Let's set the scene. Let, let's pretend that we are starting a new project to implement I don't know, a new system. What design documents would we expect? What documents would we expect to be there already? Imagine that it's it's day one and you've just been brought onto a new a new contract, a new role to deliver some system, and it's totally greenfield. There's been no work done already. Or so sorry, no implementation work has been done already. Yeah. The first thing I'd probably do, because I don't have a clue what I'm meant to be building, maybe talking to some architects. But I'd try and look for if there is some kind of a proposal document or how was this contract or this project um, sold to the business? Did someone have to put together yeah, some kind of proposal, some kind of technical draft of what was going to be offered, what was going to be built? Because that will very likely be your kind of input, don't want to say requirements, that will likely be your input to the project. Yeah, and probably the business why behind it. So why does the business care? Are we trying to make something yeah. better are we trying to make save some cost are we trying to reduce cost are yeah what's the ask yeah. what are we getting out of it yeah high level proposal i suppose with some very high level requirement uh, the expectation from the business side R- remediation of a of an issue that's already there yeah or to avoid the the horrible nasty regulators yeah so then we've got this proposal what are we going to write next next will normally be high-level design, HLD time. Let's assume we're building on private cloud. We are doing a VM deployment. Also, I feel I should say we're assuming that we're putting in some kind of maybe new architecture, new system. 
because I was ju- I've just thought, suppose that your project was to, I don't know, implement one microservice on an existing microservices platform and it's expected to take one and a half days of work you're probably not going to be writing a whole hld sometimes maybe all of these documents won't be necessary so mm-hmm. we have a high level design for each of the the key components so we might have a cloud which has a high level design possibly a low level design we'll have the deployments onto that cloud whether that's a platform as a service software as a service or a um, vm we'll have a design uh, a high level design for for that Mm -hmm. then we will have the products that are deployed onto it whether that's a queuing system an esb or even a SOER based web service system We'll have a HLD and LLD for each of those products. And then the applications on top will probably have their own individual application design. And then a, a series of these applications deployed across multiple of these products would make a solution. And that might need a mm-hmm. solution design which spans across these different high-level and low-level designs and application designs. You see, when you put it that way, it sounds like a lot. It does. This is where we need to stress that it sounds as though this project has got a lot of scope, as in we are plumbing in an infrastructure completely new, completely from scratch, and then we're going all the way down to the implementation detail. Then we're plumbing in a load of software and platform from scratch, and then on top of this platform that we've built, we are uh, implementing some software and potentially writing custom code. And all that is has got a detailed implementation. So when you when we listened to that and you were breaking it down to each element might have a HLD and an LLD, each component will have a detailed design, each application will have its own individual application design. You're thinking, Crikey, that sounds like a lot. That sounds like these guys are over-egging it a little bit. But when you realise that the scope of all of the moving parts, it becomes necessary i suppose once you've got the the initial designs especially for you know the products like if you've got a sewer system the chances are that's going to stay in for a long time if it's two or three years you've only really got to do the design once maybe a few incremental changes but actually you've only got Mm -hmm. the one design for that product and it's going to stay relatively consistent i've seen designs that haven't been changed in six seven years and actually the platform hasn't changed for six seven years however and i think we're starting to fall into the why why do we bother with the designs what it means is to say you're able to get a different support team to provide a cheaper cost for keeping your application standing up they can come on board and they see the designs they know what's happening where it's happening if there's issues they know how the system should work if they're doing an upgrade because they want to keep the platform support in a supported version they know what Mm -hmm. to expect and they can get subject matter experts in just to do those specific tasks. Now, those subject matter experts are going to really struggle to understand the entire system. If you happen to talk them, talk to them from scratch, if you can actually just give them the design, whether that's a support team, somebody coming in to do an upgrade, or even a business owner who just wants to see, okay, why have we got this? Do we need to continue having this system red light available? Mm-hmm. That gives them a very clear understanding of the system that's deployed. All of that information is, is very clear. And that, I suppose, is the reason why we do design documentation to make it very clear to everyone who could interact with the system why it exists and, and what it does I, I still feel like we've we've not totally covered off the what i, I want to talk about sort of what would you expect to be in a hld 
and LLD individual kind of application and solution designs. Should, should, we, do, should we do a high-level discussion of the high-level design? I've gone racing off into the why. What goes into each of these documents? So what, what would we see in a HLD? So I would say that the role of a HLD is to give enough of an outline for SMEs to go away and detail the low-level implementation and also, I, I would say that it's it's there to kind of share a, I'll say share a technical vision of what is expected from this thing that we are designing. So I would expect maybe an overview of the components, maybe a nice big diagram which isn't too detailed, and I would expect some key architectural decisions or architectural questions to have been called out and answered as to why, why are we going to build this system in this way? Why have we chosen this cloud instead of on-prem? Why have we chosen to put a load balancer in front of it? Why have we chosen XYZ yet? And that might be all that I really feel is compulsory. And then you might add you might add extra sections based on what is appropriate what about, for the solution in What hand. about integrated components, say the login system? Would you probably say what it integrates with, but not necessarily the detail of how we'd simply state we might have a we might have a square on a diagram that says uh, my cool enterprise log aggregator and simply just have yeah okay we're going to reference this log aggregator we're going to use this logging system so the hld is for subject matter experts and architects to read to understand what the product or the cloud or the is doing what it's for what it's doing what it connected to and how you interact with that system, how users interact, and how other systems interact. And then you get to the LLD, and you're starting to talk about configuration. At this point, I'd expect an SME of average experience, but somebody who understands the product and has maybe done these act- a few of these activities before, they need to be able to look at the LLD and know what to implement where without having to ask any further questions. The idea for me is that if the system was to get completely destroyed, that LLD would allow anyone to rebuild it and not have to go and ask any quest- any further questions of, of the business. Oh, okay. That's an, that's an interesting take on it, and it's quite nice. Um, oh, I've never thought of it like that. Oh, that's quite good. Yeah, because the way I've always seen it is that it's a, it's a documented redundancy, so it's like a DR disaster recovery because because really that's your base disaster recovery for anything isn't it if something really if there is a humongous disaster you're talking about the ultimate disaster where we lose the environment and all the code and everything that was used to all the all the yeah all the material that was used to build it all we have is the documents yeah but we've managed to find a printed version of the lld and we say ah okay well i can build this I've got this now. I, I can build this because I, I know what it is, and I know all the. I know what it's going to be built on. I know the requirements, and I know how to do it. And then the application design is how an individual application that is deployed onto one of those products. So in web service land, it would be how the how the SOAP service is defined. And it does. I I wouldn't say these need to be very long. And actually, the longer the worse. I think it needs to be short and concise. Um, the application design have i had this have i had this rant with you about people thinking that document length is kind of equivalent to the amount of effort someone has spent it's actually harder to be concise if you can understand what needs to be in and what what doesn't need to be in that mm. shows a good understanding of, of the thing that you you're implementing there is a there is obviously the 
I haven't put enough detail in because I don't know what I'm talking about. But I think that's that normally shows. That's the sort of thing that would get picked up by uh, by reviews, by people reviewing these documents. And I think in the application design, you've probably got information about how another system or a user invokes the application, how they make it do a thing. It will explain what it's doing under the covers. Like you say, diagrams are better here. Flow diagrams, it comes into this system here, it, it flows through the system, it flows through the product. And these things are happening, maybe some transformation, maybe it's pulling from another system. Would you expect interfaces, like documented interfaces, documented messages or data formats here? Yes, I'd expect that for an, an application developer for that product yeah. to be able to look at this design and build it again without asking questions. So again, it's the same DR functionality. Our hypothetical application design could be thrown over to a Java developer and or say to think about it differently our hypothetical application design could be given to 10 different java developers i like where you're going with this in isolation yeah and they should all return they should all give us back an application that does or that, that exposes the same interface i'm, gonna yeah. say, I'm not going to say it has exactly the same it, internal it workings, does but... the same thing so yeah how it's implemented yeah. might be different so one might be a bit more performant one might be a little bit more like it might have better function names or whatever but generally they'll all do the exact same implemented maybe yeah and then the solution design is obviously the pulling together of all of these application designs and the low-level designs mm -hmm. i think the solution design should reference a lot of these and it will say we're going to connect to this system and it shows the end-to-end -end user experience so the solution for me is I want to perform function X on this system. And that's where you get into as a customer of, of bank X, I want to be able to check my account. Okay, how do I do that? That's this solution design to check my account. I follow this process. I keep thinking, I keep thinking of solution designs in the context of We've outlined that we've outlined our hypothetical architecture. First, we built a cloud, then we built a platform, and now we're building applications on top of the platform. I, I keep thinking of solutions as kind of groups of applications because that's typically how they'll work. You'll you, you'll build if you build something in the you'll end up reusing your infrastructure or so on, and maybe say, oh well, this project's come along and they're they're trying to implement yeah. XYZ functionality so that users can check their account online and they're going to they're going to provision and build applications one two three four and five which will work together to form the solution yeah so the solution is a collection of applications across one or more products and then of course you've got some specialist designs so security designs might be separate that might be more like security principles you might have a design for your LDAP systems, um, for your certificate management, uh, for your interface design, for example. Uh, yeah, and and they're they're prob they're probably more likely principles that other designs sort of go off of. Yeah, and also we we're we're doing a hypothetical. I don't say hypothetical worst case, but we're doing a hypothetical large scale implementation system where maybe it merits having a full a full size broken out security design or access control design because there's nothing truly wrong with including those sorts of concepts in your 
sort of platform HLD or LLD. You can you could mention that sort of thing to say, we will use cloud components X, Y, and Z. They will be secured with security pattern ABC. It's just that uh, when the detail is necessary, you might find it better to split your split your documentation out that way. Yeah. Whose law is it that the uh, the architecture must fit the organization. Conway's law, any organization that designs a system will produce a design whose structure is a copy of the organization's communication structure. Do you have an example of that? Uh, yeah, the, the example that they have on Wikipedia is if you have four different teams working on a compiler, you'll get a four-pass compiler. The way I was about to say it is I bet that you get slight elements of Conway's law in in, in like how we've discussed federated designs, as in like, suppose that you're working for a bank in the UK, and if they've got like, they've got the, the implementation organization and, and the run organization, and they've got the, the separate security organization, I bet that, I bet when they build a project, they always have a separate security design because the security guys are separate to the uh, implementation guys. It sort of makes sense to me because you'd separate based on separate based on product and you separate based on oh, i think you would have a product level low level design i think that makes sense and that you'd have a team that, that deals with that product it might seem bulky but actually i've seen integration designs which have had about five different products in it and i've been asked to sort of deep deep dive on all of the products and i think well i, I don't have the skills in all of these because some of them aren't the company that we work for some of them have I've I've just not got that level of expertise in so I, I can see why that happens and I can see why that's probably not not really a problem the reason why I think it reflects an organization is because you expect that the organization understand that, that each of the teams within the organization knows about a thing so when you're documenting you're documenting based on the other teams so I think the reason I think this matches into why we write designs so the reason we write designs is to explain yeah how our system works for others so they can either hook yeah. into our system or so that other teams other pe other people can come and pick up or non-technical people can come and uh look at how this system will impact the job role that they're doing so these these mm. people need a per team per product design because you don't need to know about everything. You don't want to design with everything in it because you'd have like five products That's and, and it'd be really difficult. And I think it allowed and yeah. that pyramid let style of design where you've got like a cloud, then a plat platform deployment, whether that's PaaS or VM, then software infra, and then your application means that you have that isolated view. You have to go, f you, you know, actually makes approval easier because when you go to your approval boards, you've only got a subset that you have to get agreed yeah, I think what you've touched on there is is very important. I don't know whether it's sort of explicitly called out, but the kind of uh, the kind of federated nature of designs or the way that different designs will cover different things but still work together and still reference each other. For example, yes, when someone is it could, it could be like the 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 architecture authority which produces the top level HLD and they trust and they know they can hand that down to the project team or to the implementation teams to then build off that to create an LLD, a low-level yeah. design. But because everything everything references each other, everything links to each other, you get nice things like, you get things like SharePoint, you get tools so that documents can link to each other and you can build up a corpus of documented knowledge in your organization. And it all works very nicely. 
if someone curates it all. I think that causes a lot of contention because it's like, oh, there's just so many documents. And, it, and there is to begin with. And I think the problem that we have is more that the scheduled time that we put aside for people to be able to consume and understand those is it's relatively low. Uh, there's an expectation of rapid ramp up and... I think we struggle with that because there is a lot of content to go through. I suppose it isn't really factored in enough. The act of consuming documentation when you're when when you're onboarding onto a project, it's uh, okay. You're you're a you're an expert. Sit down and and start using these tools, and it, it's not always that simple. Yeah, it it is a it's a common reference point for people joining, and it allows the people who have built the system to explain why they've done that. So, like you were saying with design decisions. If we've gone through an argument saying, should we use TLS 1.2 or TLS 1.3? And we've made a decision. Because we've documented in the design what decision we made and why we made it with a justification, for example. It means in six months' time when somebody else comes along, they can reassess based on our decision at the time. So they've got the context of why the decision made. Uh, If it it wasn't available in the product and they say, okay, well, we're about to upgrade and it is available then they can make that decision to upgrade then, but they've got the context of why. Whereas if it was, uh, we can't do that because uh, it would break our integration with a legacy system that's never going to upgrade. That's that's a lot different, isn't it? But it's only in the design and the design decisions that you're able to get that justification and understand. Yes. So I suppose if we were to say why, so the, the reason why we do it is that it's a, it's a good starting point point for people to understand the system, whether they're, coming into support whether they are picking up the system from scratch etc it gives a clear view of what's been built and why somebody could pick it up and build the system if there was a disaster and it allows the whole of the organization to be able to go and reference have a look at the reference point of of why the system is the way it is and, and what the current state of play is i want to talk about why people try to avoid writing designs and maybe how so the concerns that make people do this and how can we mitigate these? Because we've just said that there's lots of value to writing designs and there's lots of value to getting this information down on paper. However, I, I feel that I know that people hate people hate documentation. Why do, why do people hate documentation? And why do we think sometimes you can tell when you're reading really, really, really bad designs? <laughs> So, Aidan, why do you think why do you think people hate writing designs, or why do you think people try to avoid writing designs? I think there's a link between people who hate writing designs and people who hate reading designs, which it which is that documentation isn't the right way for everybody to understand a system. Everybody doesn't learn in the same way. Everybody doesn't um, comprehend things in the same way. In the same way that I might read a book to get my knowledge on on a science thing, or I might go onto a podcast, or I might go onto a YouTube video, or I might want to have a face-to-face conversation with a professor, for example. In the same way, I think people see a lack of value if it's not their preferred learning mechanism, and I don't think that's a problem. I, I think we haven't got enough alternatives that perform design documentation without actually being documentation. That's not that's not the answer I thought you want to give. I thought you want to talk about document maintenance. <laughs> I I feel that the reason that people dislike writing designs is because they end up becoming something that you have to maintain, which is true. I think I think there's no avoiding this fact, but I think that maintaining designs is something that's not very fun or sexy or but is but is in fact necessary there it's quite a lot of effort 
quite a thankless effort to maintain them. You often don't get the time to do it in a project as well. You don't often get time to update the document, the documentation yeah. once it's been written. Yeah, that is something that is really kind of telling the fact that um, quite often you'll have, if you think of like a, a, a project plan with line items, like the first thing, the first thing will be do design, and then it will be do implementation, and you'll think, well, what if what if something changes during the implementation, or what if we identify something, or what do we need to update something with extra detail? Yeah. Well, there hasn't really been time assigned so to you, that. So you'd think that would be covered by Agile, mm. because Agile makes sense. It's, okay, well, making this small iteration, we're making this change, uh, we'll make update the document. And I think it's just seen as, documentation is seen as sort of a secondary, and it doesn't add value or the value isn't understood well enough. And even like the Agile Manifesto, which says... It's a working software over super documentation. Yeah. So as long as the code's working, that makes that's that's better than, than having the documentation right up to a point. I think that's true. That is true, but they, they're kind of making an assumption you've got like a long-term team that works well together. You don't have like a project team which is all going to roll off and disappear in two months never to be reassembled or, or got heard from I again. think people read that as an extreme as well. So I think a lot of people read that and say, well, that we have to do no... The Agile Manifesto says don't do any documentation. And that's not true. Um, it, it doesn't say don't. It says do enough of it that it makes sense. Don't be too bothered about getting your grammar... You know, don't 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 go back and make somebody update all the grammar or change an acronym if if everybody still knows what that acronym means or it's got a glossary at the bottom you know who cares sort of thing or if the fundamentals the same leave it or yeah i i I think people take too much of a dogmatic approach when they read the manifesto rather than a loose set of guidelines but it, it does but they do go out of date quickly there is a lot of times when you end up with reading it and you're like oh that's not true anymore however the majority of it's true and it's a baseline uh, and i and it i think it's a good way to get kt when you've got a busy bunch of staff mm. um, but, but people do think it takes a lot of time they they think it's hard to it, like as we said before pms think it oh, what a waste of time that people have got to read all of this i i always think about it as you're exposing a vulnerability i really shouldn't say this because i make this i feel this made me sound really paranoid i feel that once you write documentation there's almost an expectation that you're like the document writer <laughs> on a project i really shouldn't think like this should i but i'm like if there's one person who gets really enthusiastic about doc- enthusiastic about doing documentation and yeah yeah guys let's do it such right. and such will do the documentation like, from now on <laughs> yeah yeah he, he loves doing the documentation he'll do it when that's such a ludicrous proposal because the only person that can really do the documentation or something is the person that is implementing it or is, the, or is designing it or is writing the code or whatever. Yeah. Well, no, that does mean that more than one person will know um, how the system works. So you reduce your... Um, yeah, bus factor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you're assuming that the person's writing the documentation and the person that's writing the code gets on, though. Ooh, wow. Politics. <laughs> yeah. I, I suppose just... Design writing is just not fun, is it? Uh, it's not. Design writing is not fun. perceived Everyone as fun. Wants to ma- people want to make new cool systems with the latest technology. I don't want to do maintenance. I don't want to do like looking after things. But especially if the design document's something that's you've done a hundred times before. Now it's just a slight variation. If if you're doing new design, a new solution, mm. yeah, not not me out. I'd. I'd I'll run off and, and build hundreds of them if, if it's different every time and I've got to put some thought into it and I've got you know, I've got a bit of a challenge, but if it's the same thing, ugh. Yeah. Shall we shall we end Peter on just a few 
a few big questions that we may may or may not be able to answer so is it only architects that write designs no no it isn't it's uh it's people who are uh, related or appropriate for the for the design for the system so that could be a low level sme uh that could be a non technical do you get such a thing as a non technical sme yeah uh yeah yes depends so in you, you the sme is appropriate for the design so like um uh, well, I'm thinking of like a business owner, someone who knows the business process but maybe doesn't understand code. Is that the is that the right person I'm thinking oh, of? Yeah, yeah, a BA, yeah, yeah. That's a business no, analyst. Yeah, yeah. Business yeah. analyst is the person I'm thinking of. They write designs. Yeah, uh, it's not just that there are there are governance people who write designs too. So yeah, I suppose the question is the the, the main question is do we need designs? Um, why can't we just rely on the code or the application to? adequately explain why can't we do things like uh, clean code to make sure that our functions are correctly named to self-document i think that that sounds lovely however i think that a written design a written record point of truth for all the good reasons that we mentioned the sort of standardization the starting point for people to learn from the common reference point i feel that that is necessary in order for your for your team to scale past like four yeah again you can do small teams agile probably very well and just keep a working knowledge because your team chats to each other every day and you've only got like four or five people in your team that's great but very few businesses and organizations have a total of five people in them heck we might be working on a project for a department with like 200 people in and there's no way that you can maintain a kind of a, a working relationship with all 200 people. You need to have some kind of standardised, written down reference point. Yeah, and so it's really... Probably a necessary And if, if I'm a Java developer who needs to integrate in with your PHP system, I might not, be able to, I might not understand PHP. So I need something that's not in a common language that we both will understand when we're integrating with each other which doesn't really show it with the code, commenter's code. And like you say, when it's like BAs or non-technical people, they need something that isn't, isn't um, down in the weeds. And actually, what one person thinks is a very clear function name, for example, you look, you look online, it, uh, one clear function name isn't actually clear. Yeah. Should you be able to determine something, what something is doing and how it works just by looking at the code? I think it should be as easy as possible. Yes, I think you should. I think you, sh- you should I aim think, for I that. Think... Yes, but you can never assume that you can. You can't assume that, oh, everyone will just be able to read the code so they won't need any documentation. You can, you can never the, make that. The code also happen. doesn't say why. It says what. Yeah, it says how. That's a really it says good how, but not thing. why. And I think the why is very important. So I think one for us to take away is can we do designs better? And maybe that would be a future topic, Peter. Yeah. I was really interested when you went, when you started discussing. What about people who don't really learn well by sort of by, by sitting and reading a document? What about people who learn better from watching a video or discussing things? I thought that was a very interesting point of view. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Sometimes you have good ideas. We record knowledge transfer these days, but and and especially with the with increased WebEx meetings and whatever, they're normally long protracted and they're not design documentations. They're normally how do I do X? How do I do Y? The more tutorials than design. But yeah, videos are away but we don't we don't use that as we don't we don't they're not as easily editable are they i suppose you can't control f a video no that's true i've had to go through some like 
hour-long knowledge transfer recordings recently, and I've just wanted to really just... I want to control F for when the guy talks about a certain point in the code, and I was thinking, I can't. I've literally got to skim the whole thing. I was watching it on, like, two times speed, just waiting for him to get to the point that I wanted, and it was really frustrating me. Right. Any final thoughts, Peter? Yes. Everyone hates doing design and documents, but um, they are a necessary evil. My thought would be, I actually quite like writing <laughs> <laughs> I realise that I've been, I feel like I've been um, sort of using the word design and the word document interchangeably. Design, yeah. Design document, I suppose, is, I, I quite like writing design documentation. Okay, I like writing it, but I don't like it when people start reviewing it and then suggesting changes. <laughs> I'm with, I'm with you on that lovely that's all for this week thank you for listening bye bye goodbye bye